One parent, two kids, 422 national park sites. This is Expedition National Parks. Dispatches and stories from one family's journey to discover the natural, historical, and cultural treasures of the United States. You've got steam and juices being released from your filling, and that pushes up that top crust. And that's what happened in Yellowstone. We, the whole area was raised up. We're higher than anything around us. My mother and I are not winter people. Our family has lived in a warm climate for many years, and not one of us is used to, or in love with the cold. Which is why we were a bit afraid of our trip to Yellowstone in January 2020. Thanks to my grandparents, we had all visited Yellowstone in the summer and loved it. But a few people had recommended to my mother to visit in the winter, telling her it was like living in a snow globe. And with that, my mom was hooked. While we were both nervous about the trip in the cold, the experience was truly magical and unique and a life highlight. Before sailing on our itinerary, we considered different options, some of which may be a good fit for you for future visits. The first was Yellowstone Forever Institute, which offers field seminars on a variety of topics. Although the workshops are designed for adults, they will consider children. My mom received permission for me to participate, but in the end, with limited time, it was perhaps too specialized for our needs, and we decided to design our own itinerary. COVID-19 has impacted their work significantly, but we encourage you to check them out if you are looking for something more specialized. We did all our bookings through Zantara, the concessionaire. The first thing you need to know is that winter access to Yellowstone is drastically different than summer access. Only the northern entrance is open in the winter to cars. One can access the park through the west and south, but only on over-snow vehicles, such as snow coaches and snowmobiles. When consider trying to visit Grand Teton National Parks as well, and access the park, but we found it challenging logistically, especially with limited time. Some major points that we considered and you might also as well. One, where you will fly into and which entrance you will use to access the park. Two, whether you want to stay only in the Mammoth Springs area, which is accessible by car from the north, and has easy access to Lamar Valley, which is full of wildlife. If you want to go to the interior, the main options are Go to West Yellowstone, which has many, which has many snowmobile tour departures. There are also options from the north and south, but not as many. Or book a trip to the interior. The only overnight lodge option is Old Faithful Winter Lodge via snow coach, which my mom's friend Karen, a Wyoming native who inspired her own trip, likened to a people mover out of Star Wars. Since we were looking for the snow globe experience and the interior received much more snow than the northern Mammoth Springs area, we decided to travel to the interior. We ruled out snowmobiles as my mom didn't feel comfortable driving with me as a passenger. So we decided to take the snow coat. Also kids under 12 get a 50% discount, so the price tag, quite hefty as the over snow vehicles are expensive, was a bit more bearable. <laughs> My mom included a bear pun, which is stupid. I actually didn't think it was a pun. That's good. We also got a lodging discount through our Yellowstone Forever membership. So be sure to look out for that possibility as well. The winter season lasts typically from mid-December to mid-March. It is short, so be sure to book early and check the Yellowstone, Yellowstone NPS website. So we knew we would be flying in and out of Bozeman and decided to book two nights in Bo- Mammoth Springs and three at Old Faithful. 
Once again, my mom's friend Karen inspired us to cross-country ski, as she likened it to traversing the beginning of this earth with belching caldera, sputtering geysers, and mighty beasts. Since we are not experienced in cross-country skiing or snowshoeing, we booked a couple of tours to ensure that we could adapt under the watchful eye of a guide. We spent our first full day exploring Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone by skis. A full day. During that trip, we stopped at the Canyon Visitor Education Center for lunch and were able to speak to the staff keeping it running. So uh, most of the people that come here during the winter, they're here snowmobiling or? Snowmobiles and snow coaches. Okay. And you get around only 200 people as compared to the... Yeah, just about. I mean, we have all the... Everybody signs in, basically, so we just tally it at the end of the day. And what, what's the best part about winter versus summer? Uh, as far as living here? Or visiting? Oh, um, I mean, less crowds. Um, the larger carnivores, it's easier to see them, and this is their prime hunting time. So, Have there been any wolf sightings lately? No, nah, I got to see one the other day, but I was up in Lamar Valley. Um, I've been off for a week, so I don't know. Jan, have you heard about? Not in the last mm-hmm. week. Um, about a week and a half ago. And, um, oh, wow. Uh, and people see otters a lot? or? Yeah, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Thank you. My favorite cross-country skiing was the Lone S- well, when we went to the Lone Star Geyser the second day. Very nice, as I was much faster than my mom and got to travel alone most of the time, and I just looked out at the snow, and it was very beautiful. But the next day, we decided to go to our, go on our own to the Geyser Basin. But we underestimated the difficulty in finding the trail, and we missed our snowshoe tour. You know, uh, I, I'm going to tell the story of what happened. After the Lone Star excursion, we, had, we wanted to go to the Geyser Basin, but we didn't find the trail, and the snow was so thick. So we looked at the map. We went back to the map and looked at it twice, and we kept on going, and we had no idea we were on the right path, and the snow was like three feet th- deep, and oh, it was so hard. Make sure you actually know the trail and stuff like that and snow conditions before going. And we didn't even know we were on the light trail trail until this couple came, and we asked them, are we on the right trail, and they said yes. And then we went to the geysers and a hiked-up observation point to look at Old Faithful erupt in the sunset. We had thought about cross-country skiing on our own in the Mammoth Springs area, but decided to focus on wildlife spotting. We drove ourselves around the Lamar Valley for the afternoon of our arrival from Old Faithful. The next day, we did an organized wildlife tour. It was tough getting up early, and although we revisited the same areas by road, Having more eyes to spot, as well as an experienced guide, led us to see more. And the highlight was seeing the NPS team. And my mom's highlight was seeing the NPS team. that tracks the wolf pack in action. I read The Rise of Wolf 8, witnessing the triumph of Yellowstone's underdog during our trip, and would highly re- recommend it. It's a good wolf book. We stopped at the Mammoth in at the Mammoth Springs Visitor Center and talked to the ranger. What would you recommend? Okay, first of all, I should preface this by saying that uh-huh. Like, I was surprised at how much Yellowstone has to offer in the winter. Okay, good. So what would you recommend to, to people thinking, you know, oh, it's not the best time of year to come? Especially um, families. Gosh, and I mean, the nice thing is that everything slows down in Yellowstone in winter. So it's, you know, less, less crowds, things like that, more time to uh, look at wildlife. It's easier to see wildlife, too. 
um, which is uh, one of the my favorite parts, especially of this open road up here between Mammoth and uh, and Cook City. Um, you know, if you're planning really far out, it's nice to look at maybe some options into the the interior of the park. Um, you know, those snowmobile trips, those snow coach trips, because going into the interior is a fun experience. Um, but even if you're just up here between Mammoth and Cook City, um, just the wildlife alone is, is enough to come in winter and spend a few days. You still have Mammoth Hot Springs up here, too. Um, if you, you know, into skiing and snowshoeing, that's almost unlimited up here. Um, but same is true for around Old Faithful and other parts of the park if you are able to get in there with one of the guided tours. Um, yeah, so you can easily spend uh, days weeks you know people that live here still don't feel like they've seen everything yet that um yellowstone has to offer in yeah. winter we stopped at the boiling river to take a dip in the hot water it was a treat for my mom i was so bored we when you're at the boiling river it turned into a wildlife spotting tour as on the trail where like all these elk along the path my mom didn't see them much because she was in the water but i saw them i took a lot of pictures we ended up leaving like an hour later than we intended because she was still in the hot water. When you're driving, make sure that you know what the weather conditions are. One note of caution, we estimated how quickly how the weather can change and how it could slow us down. So we ended up driving quite a ways in the dark in a snowstorm, both in and outside the park. There are wildlife crossings everywhere. And you just and like you may think that those wildlife crossing signs are a joke and stuff but th th they're real my mom almost hit an elk several times and one time she stopped so fast all my mike and ike fell so don't drive in the dark it's bad we just visited after the new year in 2020 and we're lucky to experience the lodge with the decorations still up we had our meals in the lodge dining room and oh the lodge dining room was great the food was good and while we never met anyone my mom got to talk. My mom talked to like eight different people when she was lit by the fire and I was in the room. It was uh, kind of annoying. But we did, and one time we had went to this lecture and we saw that, and we talked to this guy who was hiked from Mammoth to Old Faithful and camping. And I was like, no, that that's, oh my God. I'm Will. I, uh went on a fairly long winter backpacking trip. I flew into Bozeman on the 26th and then took the shuttle to the park on the 27th. And there I stayed in the Mammoth uh, Hot Springs campground for one night and then got my permit and started off on, a, on the actual trip. The first night I stayed at Indian Creek Campground, then I stayed at Norris Campground, then I stayed two nights at Canyon Campground, stayed one night at Gibbon Meadows Picnic Area, another night at Madison Junction, one more night at um, Whiskey Flat Picnic Area, and now two nights at Old Faithful East Lot Picnic Area gonna take the snow coach back to Mammoth tomorrow morning or afternoon rather and then I'm gonna spend one more night in Mammoth before leaving to go back to Santa Cruz California. Were there many other winter campers? 
I didn't see a single other winter camper. So can you describe a little bit about the experience of being so presumably alone for in the wilderness? Well, I did. I wouldn't say I felt alone. I mean, during the day, whenever you're near a park road, you always see lots of people going by. Around midday, like 12 to 2, you see fairly few people. Like, the roads are actually pretty clear. Almost no one's going to be going anywhere. Because midday, most people have either already gone to their destination and they're doing some sort of hike, or... Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. People are generally at their destination by that point and doing some sort of activity instead of doing some sort of transportation around the park. So, but your route was kind of parallel to the to the park road? I mean, to the... Most of it the... was along the roads. Oh, okay. Because for a lot of that, that's the only way you can take easily, at least in the winter. What motivated you to do this in winter? Uh, I like winter. I like snow and snow camping. It's just all in all much prettier than in the summertime. Though, as an additional benefit, it's also very easy to get permits and like not be swarmed by other campers and stuff compared to the summertime. And had you, have you done a lot of winter camping? I've gone winter camping a few times. But it's something I've gotten into fairly recently, within the oh. last year or so. So what were your, what, what did you think would be the biggest challenges of this trip? And did they come to pass? Or My biggest, my biggest concern by far was the cold, because, like, previously I'd really just winter camped in Yosemite, in the Sierras, and it's a lot warmer there. So... I was concerned about how cold it could get here because they do say lots of scary things on the park website about how cold it gets. And it did get cold. The coldest it got when I was camping was negative 8 Fahrenheit. So, thankfully, I had enough supplies to stay warm. So what were the highlights? So, this past summer, the end of summer, I drove through the park like on my way back to school and I got to see a lot of these cool like thermal features and stuff but it was pretty much just a a drive-through trip like a really quick trip so it was nice to be able to spend some time just like slowly walking through everything and seeing all these features that I saw while driving through it but didn't get a chance to look at just when I was growing up camping was always made out to be this uh, a big deal and some like difficult thing though I feel like it's less so like the camping part isn't shouldn't be the difficult part that should just be the the means to an end at the end of the day well the good thing about backpacking is it's such a popular activity nowadays at least that you'll easily find lots of checklists online to make sure you have all your essentials and you can just have everything laid out in front of you check everything off the checklist and then put it in your backpack but you know, I'm always just looking for places, looking for things that sound fun. And if I get the opportunity, I'll do them. Like the idea of coming to Yellowstone this winter was fairly recent. Like you know, again, my friends were talking about it. We were talking about what to do for a winter trip, 
and I'd remembered that Yellowstone had been really amazing when I short, quickly drove through here during the summer. And so I put that forward as a winter trip idea. And when I thought about it more, I thought, yeah, actually, that would be a really amazing winter trip. And just as we got closer to the time my trip actually started, I thought, yeah, I definitely want to do this, even if no one else wants to. And now it is time for our outdoor org feature. Do you want to help diversify public lands and outdoor spaces? We're encouraging our listeners to look to the leaders who are making changes within the outdoors industry to fight for social justice within outdoor spaces. Alongside other content creators this month, we're featuring the Youth Opportunities Program, or the YOP for short. YOP, part of the Appalachian Mountain Club, aims to train and support educators with resources so that there is equal access to outdoor experiences for their groups of young people especially those whose racial identities are underrepresented in outdoor spaces. Follow hashtag AMCYOP and hashtag Youth Opportunities Program on Instagram to learn more about their organization. Check the episode description for links to their website to learn more as well as donate. There's even a special winter Yellowstone Junior Ranger program. It even has a science kit. Ranger Rebecca explains more about the program and the equipment involved. The winter one's really cool. It's just like a real snow scientist. Um, you can tell us whether we're going to have an avalanche in the park. So you go out and you figure out if, if the snow is the right type of crystal to stick together. Then you dig a snow pit and you look at the different layers of snow. And for each layer, you're going to test the temperature and you're going to test the hardness of it. You, you're going to stick either um, one finger, two fingers, or a pencil in to test how hard it is, how well it sticks together, and the reasons why that might be. Because anything, I almost did the sounds of snow last night, but um, the reason that we can have all these little animals survive under the snow is because the ground is always warmer than the snow. The ground is above freezing. If it weren't, it would be tundra or permafrost. So it stays above freezing. The snow freezes and thaws, freezes and thaws, because you've got movement in that snowpack. You've got water coming up through it and evaporating. You've also got water melting down through it on warmer days. There's a lot of movement going along. And every, in every layer, that temperature is going to be different, and it's always trying to equalize. And so that causes the movement. And because of that and that freeze-thaw that happens, you get big hoarfrost crystals underneath, um, especially where there's a log or a rock or the base of a tree. And the little animals can shatter those and run around in their little tunnels under the snow. Yellowstone became the first U.S. national park, as well as the first U.S. site inscribed on the UNESCO World Heritage List because of its unique hydrothermal and geologic wonders. As we learned in one of the ranger programs, the hydrothermal activity powered by a hot spot underneath is part of the Yellowstone volcano. We learned about geology and wildlife in two of the evening ranger programs. Be sure to check them out. My mom had some trouble understanding how a geyser ups, even after reading about it, and attending a program. So we were appreciative of Ranger Rebecca's detailed and patient explanation. So magma is way down here. Right. 
Um, it doesn't really look like this. It's two chambers, 9% melt on the top and 2% melt underneath, and it's got this kind of tail stretching out underneath the Snake River Plain. The Snake River Plain is the trail, is the tail of the Yellowstone volcano. So as the plates of the crust move over at about an inch a year, um, the, the, the hot spot kind of stretches out. It's in the crust, and it's melting granite because it's in the crust. If you have a hot spot deeper down towards the mantle, and I used to have another one. I gotta get another one out here. Don't have. Yeah, I don't have my other one. But um, when you have a hot spot in the crust, and it's anywhere from two miles to 11 miles down, depending where you are in the park. So that's really shallow. Um, If you wanted to say, go find magma under New York City, you'd probably have to go down um, the, the, the thickness of the crust. Um, 45 miles, 25 to 45 miles at least. So there's basically not a hole which allows it to escape or like what? Um, so what it is, so they mapped the hot spot using tomography, which, are, which uses pressure waves from earthquakes um, because they dissipate at different rates through different things. So we have a seismic array all over the West. And they looked at these big earthquakes and even smaller ones, you know, thousands of them, because Yellowstone gets about 3,000 earthquakes a year. And they looked at the pressure waves, and they were able to map out the hot spot. And so on top, it's kind of a squished circle with a tail, and then there are magmatic dikes, so little, you know, just little cracks going from one to the other. And the one underneath is kind of a little bit deeper. It looks kind of like a heart. Um, (laughs) And so... They, um, they were able to map that out, and they found out that the Yellowstone hotspot was two and a half times bigger than they thought. So over the last 16 and a half million years, the Yellowstone hotspot has erupted dozens of times and created many calderas. Um, when I do my geyser talk, I always talk about calderas, and I compare them to a pie that people bake. So you basically raise up the top crust because I say you don't cut slits in the top of the pie. So you've got steam and juices being released from your filling, and that pushes up that top crust. And that's what happened in Yellowstone. We The whole area was raised up. We're higher than anything around us. And you basically raise up a bubble in the crust. Lava exits in a in a lateral fracture formation across the top and a ring fracture formation around the sides. Um, It explodes out because it's in the crust, it's melting granite, it's very high silica. This is obsidian. So a high silica lava, our our lava is rhyolite. Mm -hmm. When you're melting granite, you're getting the feldspar, the quartz, and all of that. Rhyolite lava can be up to 85% silica. And it's the reason for everything around here. Obsidian sand goes down to about 60 meters all over the upper geyser basin. And then you've got these rhyolite lava flows. You've got the hot spot way down there heating things up. So you've got rainwater and snowmelt soaking down and everything coming up. Um, So basically what I tell people is you raise up a bubble, you blow it up, you explode the mountains... Um, you sink the top crust down in when there's no filling left, and then it comes out and fills in with later lava flows. That's what all these things around the sides are, those ridges as you see mm-hmm. coming in. Those are all later lava flows that happened after the last caldera forming eruption. So you fill it in till it's flat, and then you grow potatoes on it. 
And the potatoes or the geysers? That's the Snake River Plain. Oh. That's where they grow 99% of the potatoes. In oh, the you mean like real potatoes. Yeah, oh, okay. Real like, potatoes. Let me see. But then the geyser is is just basically, there's all this like hot stuff going on underneath, and it's just blowing, literally blowing off steam kind of? Um, oh, thank you. So what happens, you've got rainwater and snowmelt seeping down, and we have a lot of cracks and fissures. We have mm-hmm. 3,000 earthquakes a year. Rhyolite is very, very brittle, and I don't have a piece of rhyolite out here. Um, it looks like an ugly gray rock with lots of sparkles in mm-hmm. it, um, and it's up to 85% silica. So that's the key ingredient. That's why you have geysers here. Um, So rhyolite has a high silica content, whereas, like, Mount Rainier, if you go there, it's a volcano. It doesn't have geysers. It's a traditional mantle plume. Yeah, and we came from Hawaii. Yeah, and Hawaii doesn't have... And they're building, and, like, the shield volcano, like... Yeah, and so they don't have... That's not a real high silica lava either. Okay. And so that's why you don't have geysers. Um, So the silica is essential to the... The silica is essential because it makes this. This is geyserite. Geyserite, or it's called silicious sinter. And sinter, the sinter is actually a verb. It means to layer. Mm-hmm. And so this is layered silica. It builds up at about a half inch to an inch per century, depending on what, um, depending on what kind of activity the feature has. Old Faithful, we have these old books on Old Faithful, um, which I, I just found another seismic study that I want to show you because it's really cool on Old Faithful. Um, so... <laughs> Park rangers are geeks. Did you know this? I, I love your talk. I, we all, are the, all, all those, geeks. and they were all we such were. like high quality. Like I was impressed that like these old photographs that you were able to scan them in at such a high quality. Yeah, I try. Um, but we're all geeks. We love to do research. We were all pretty good at school. I mean, yeah. that's what we have in common, most of us. Right. Um, and so, um, okay, what was I? I was doing the geyserite. Oh, the geyserite. I've got all different forms of geyserite over here. What happens is rainwater and snow melt travel down, and we can hypothesize how deep it goes, but it goes deep enough to come into contact with brine that's circulating um, around that magma. And remember, it's it, it's more like a sponge. It's not like a big open thing like this pictures, mm-hmm. but it's like a sponge. The top chamber is about 9% melt, and the bottom underneath it is about 2% melt. So you've got a lot of heat, a lot of gases being released, rainwater soaking down through these nice porous sands and also through cracks created by one of the 3,000 earthquakes every uh-huh. year. Um, and it soaks down, and the key is that it stays under there a really long time. We used to tell people that it stayed under there for 500 years because they did tritium decay testing. Um, tritium is heavy water. It's radioactive and decays at a regular rate. So you can take every everything that's water underneath the ground mm-hmm. is going to have some some combination of heavy heavy water in it. And so you can see how old the water is by how much the tritium has decayed when you take the water out. But then they did another method of testing on Old Faithful a couple of years ago, a guy from University of Wyoming, and he told me, he's like, oh, no. He's like, I'm getting dates of 150 or 100 years. He said at max 200. And so what that tells me is that it's not all the same age under there. Depending on which route it takes, which part of the maze the water decides to, you know, travel in, um, it can be under there for a long time, or it can be under there for a relatively short time on our time scale. 
but it's going to seep down. It's going to start to heat. And I always tell people it's like watching that water boil in a pot, that okay. rolling motion. As water heats, it rises, and it's rising towards the surface, and it's extremely hot. It's under pressure. Every hydrated fracture system like this has the weight of the water pushing down in addition to the pressure that you would get from going down anyway. And so it's under a high amount of pressure. And... Um, I always tell people the deepest hole they've ever drilled, because they used to just, like, drill holes down to see what would happen. And they did that. They did it in the Norris Geyser Basin back in the 1930s, and they drilled, I think, 265 feet down. They found really hot water. (laughs) And they did one that was deeper in the 60s in Biscuit Basin, and they found water that was on the above 700 degrees Fahrenheit. And still liquid. So that's the key, is that you've got water that circulates for a really long time, picks up obsidian, so particles of silica, mm-hmm. feldspar, quartz, whatever it is. Quartz and geyserite are very similar in chemical composition. Mm-hmm. Um, so it picks up that silica and it deposits silica. So everywhere it's going, it's running through this maze of cracks and always rising. And then cool water is falling to replace it, so you get convection cells that form. And hot water rising, cool water falling, big convection cells. It's traveling upward, it's traveling outward, it stays under there for a long time, and the whole time it's picking up and depositing particles of silica. So you get um, you get every crack and every fissure becomes lined with this stuff, uh-huh. with geyserite. So geysers usually have a vent, and it's usually kind of trumpet-shaped, um, Hot springs, geysers, fumaroles, they all have that kind of vent underneath lined with silica. Um, In a geyser's case, what happens is you have silica deposits that form and form a constriction. Mm. So it's like, um, have you ever taken Mentos and put them into a bottle of soda water or Diet Coke? Mm -hmm. It's the same it's the same thing. Underneath Old Faithful, this is this much of the vent. Underneath Old Faithful, water is going to be rising up into this vent. It's superheated. It's above the boiling point. And it's going to as it comes closer to you can take this one. Okay, you thanks. Too. As it comes closer to the to the surface, there's less pushing down on it, less pressure. So it'll begin to flash to steam and huge steam bubbles will form inside this vent system. And they're really big. And um, I call it supersonic bubbles because mm-hmm. the whole system begins to speed up and water's flashing to steam and water's boiling. And it's all held in just like the Coke bottle with the Mentos. All mm-hmm. those bubbles, they're CO2 bubbles and that, they're steam bubbles in a geyser. Mm-hmm. But same thing, they're holding by bottleneck, a constriction. And so Old Faithful's constriction is four and one eighths inch wide. By about two feet wow. so it's a slit and and it holds all that in pretty soon you've got pressure coming up from under here those um you've got more and more spa- flashing to steam more water boiling and it's speeding up the system and you can even watch in a geyser a lot of times the steam will roll faster and you can see that happen micah might disagree with me i don't know but i can when i see old faithful oh i and always tell people those splashes you see are the steam bubbles that are escaping through the conduit yeah. until they finally just so basically because you've got water above the constriction too it uh-huh. is also above the boiling point um if enough water escapes out during what we call pre-play to lower the pressure down into the system 
that's going to speed up that reaction even more, and it's all just going to go up because it can't go out because geyseritis pressure tight. Wow, because we were just at um, Lone Star, and mm-hmm. it was there was that kind of the buildup, but it didn't. We didn't actually get to see it, mm-hmm. so I don't know if it was just playing. It Lone Star does minor and major eruptions. It usually starts about a half hour before a major. It'll start to do minor. Should have stayed, um, but we had to get back. You probably would have yeah. just missed it then. But Lone Star is really a cool geyser. I mean, so the, we really, the, the kicker in all of this is we don't really know what's under geysers. So this is ambient noise tomography. This is taking little seismometers about this tall, putting them all the way around Old Faithful, taking a sledgehammer and running around and doing strikes on the ground and watching the shear waves come through the crust. So it goes down to about 120 meters. Mm -hmm. What we've done in the past three years is they have taken, I call it the hula hoop, but that's me, They've done helicopter flyovers in strips with a big, it looks like a big hula hoop. It's about 20 feet wide. It shoots electromagnetic waves at the ground. And then they measure the resistivity of the layers, you know, how long before that wave bounces back, how long does it take it to penetrate. And so they told me what's really weird is because I went out, I went out for beers with one of the scientists and she said that about 10 meters down, there's a layer of something that's equally resistive to electromagnetic penetration as the lava flows. Wow. And she doesn't know what it is. <laughs> but you can't go on. It's you too- can imagine they've flown every thermal area in Yellowstone. Am I getting this? They've flown every thermal area in Yellowstone in 20-foot wide strips. Wow. The amount of data that they have to read. Oh, every, and there's 10,000. Is incredible. When we visited Yellowstone as part of a family reunion in 2017, my mom was astonished by the number of Chinese restaurants in West Yellowstone and learned that Chinese tourists were growing in numbers. While the country of origin of visitors is not tracked, the number of tour buses are, and there was a 17% increase in 2015 over 2014, and a 21% increase in 2014. My mom was lucky to speak to a travel agent specializing in these groups to learn more. I think first is because this is really a unique and a very beautiful place, right? This is like one some Chinese came here, and they see this is really different, unique in the world. And they really think this is a must-see place for for their friends. So they tell their friends, you must when you come to U.S., you must come to Yellowstone, and I think that's. One reason is like uh, people came here and uh, tell their friends to came. And another thing is, I think Yellowstone is really famous in China. And why my parents want to come to Yellowstone in winter is because they saw a document documentary in Chinese TV. They talk about like winter Yellowstone, and uh, I think that's something like they. They get they see on TV or on some like uh, movies or documentaries. They, they think this is a really must must see place for them. So interesting. No, because I came three years ago in the summer, and we came in through West Yellowstone, and there are all these Chinese restaurants, and then they were talking about how there was you know like all these you know a, a growing number of Chinese tourists. When do you? How long have you been in the travel business? Uh, three years. Oh, so relatively recently. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, but do you, can you recall even before you started the travel um, business, 
you know, that Yellowstone was, like, being talked about? Uh, yeah. Okay. I, I came to Yellowstone, like, uh, 10 years ago. Oh, you were one of the... That, the, that was... You were kind of at the beginning of it, right? Were there many Chinese coming at that time? And there's some, but not that many. Okay. I think because the visa for to come to U.S. is much easier now than before. Mm-hmm. Like, people can get U.S. visa easily, so more people from China come to here. Like, 10 years ago, it's still pretty restricted, like, how how many people can get their uh, U.S. tourist visa. But what, what, what brought you to Yellowstone 10 years ago, then? Uh... So I want to take a tour, and I want to go to a national park, and this is the top one on the list because this is the biggest and the uh, old, longest history and uh, most famous. So, mm-hmm. so you took a bus tour? No, I was driving. Oh, so you did it yourself? Okay. Yes, yes. I, I brought my parents here with me. So. Oh, so so how many times have you visited Yellowstone now? Uh, At least three, four, four. Okay, wow. Yeah, four times. You're loyal. See, I will. That's that's a lot. Wow. Two in the winter and two in the summer. Yeah, two in winter and two in. And summer. will you come back? Uh, I think so because my, like my my auntie, and my auntie's friend, they haven't seen Yellowstone in summer yet, so they may ask me to bring them here in oh. summer to have a tour, and uh, maybe for some of our like, for our customers, they may want to come to Yellowstone. So I may need to like come here to plan for the route. And so you're based in Silicon Valley, and you uh, organize tours for Chinese yeah, tours. Yeah, bus tours. So 50, 50 plus seats. Yeah, fifty five seats. Yeah. Okay. So this is uh, like kind of standard tours for Chinese people, starting from uh, Los Angeles or from San Francisco. It's a seven days tour. So they take they, they departure from either San Francisco or Los Angeles, and they came to Yellowstone and go down to uh, Salt Lake Salt, Salt Lake City, mm-hmm. and they go to uh, Antelope Canyon and uh, Horse Bend uh, Canyon uh. and uh, uh, Brands Canyon, and they came they go down to uh, Grand Canyon and Las Vegas, and they go back to where they departure. Wow. So it's uh, like uh, all the tour companies, they, they promote this route, like seven days standard tours for, for the, the Chinese people if they come here. So maybe that's another reason why so many people... Right. And that's mm-hmm. a su- summer tour. Yeah, a yeah. summer tour. And the price is, I think it's pretty, uh, pretty, okay. it's a good, good, good price, good deal for people to come So here. what's the average price for like a seven day tour like that? Uh, seventy tours like that. If you if two people live in, living in one room, it's about like uh, five hundred and fifty dollar. Wow! Uh, if it's three people living in one room, it's about four hundred dollars. That is a good deal. So you must th- you don't stay like it, like in the parks like outside yeah, the parks. Yeah, outside the park. Yeah, yeah. But no, it's like it's, it sounds a deal like for the like it's it's a good good price tours. That's, for all yeah. those places, yeah. Because the bus tours, they, uh, we, we, like, we schedule the tours earlier and then we book the hotels earlier, so it, 
the price is controlled, and they give tips to the tour guide, and uh, uh, they pay for the tickets, the admissions fee, some actual fees. So it's it's a pretty like uh, most people if they. Visit U.S. in West Coast. They mostly take that tour, like some days. So your travel agency specializes in that tour specifically. Yeah, most people, if they come from mainland China to、uh, San Francisco and they want to take a tour, they they take that tour, seven days tour, for in, in the in summertime. Yeah, starting starting a, late April until October. That's the most popular tour and the most. Travel agency make money for from that tour, so just one tour. And you, and that's what your company does, just that tour. We we also sell other tours, but that one tour、uh, is maybe like sixty、uh, percent of our、uh, revenue come from that one tour. And what other tours do you have then? Oh,、uh, we also have winter Yellowstone tour,、okay. and we have the tour to Los Angeles, and、uh, the tour, the four days tour to. Uh, Antelope Canyon to、uh, Grand Canyon, Las Vegas.、Okay. And most people will stay like a week or two in in the U.S. or, uh, yeah, like uh, uh, two weeks at most, maybe、okay. like nine days, ten days. And,、uh... So it's been almost a year since our trip, Kieran.、Uh, what are your impressions of it? Do you still think about the trip? No, not really. But it, it was a very good trip. My favorite part was the Lone Star expedition because I was all alone, and you, and you could like if you go out skiing on your own, it's very nice. You just so it's very peaceful and quiet. You're just all on your own with like snow. It it's very good. My second favorite high is we stayed at this hotel before we came there, and it was a pool table, and it was the first time I played pool, and I destroyed mommy. Get riggedy riggedy wrecked, baby da ba do. That place is also special because it had wolves.、Remember? Oh yeah, there was these wolves. We we saw a little bit of them, and they howled one night. And、yeah. then, uh, uh, and my my low of the trip was when mommy braked and spilled my Mike and Ike, which I'm still not over. We were lucky. So I want my avoid, Mike and Ike. If we were lucky to avoid the animal and also. Be safe ourselves. She's bad at driving. I I'm not a bad driver. I'm just not a very confident driver, and I never dri- driven in the snow before. You're bad. I I'm proud of how we we how we got there, but it was it was scary because it was dark, and I didn't realize that the wildlife crossings would go on for so long. I should have realized that because we came in the same way, but. I of course it's it's to be expected the the animals don't respect like a park boundary right and they're they're going back and forth so be very careful when you go in winter because、uh, the conditions even if you have a good weather forecast can change unexpectedly but also、um, and make sure you're a good driver unlike her also make sure to sponsor us on Patreon <laughs> we have a Patreon. <laughs> JK, we don't have a Patreon, but we will give us no, money. No, we won't. <laughs> give us we money. Want, we just want your time. Money. We hope we you enjoy. We want money. <laughs> no,、uh, I like I said, I'm not a winter person. Kieran's not. Well, we we go we go downhill skiing. Winter's good, but we didn't. Better than it's better than autumn. That, autumn and spring suck. They're like. 
the least favorite, they're my least favorite season. It's just like, spring's like almost summer, but you still have to go to school. And fall's like almost winter, but there's no snow and no winter break and no Christmas. So, uh... They Thank suck. you for these enlightening opinions, Kieran, but that doesn't really relate to Yellowstone. One huge advantage of going in the winter is... Well, peace. I'm leaving. Yes. There weren't that many people. It was very peaceful. Thank you Don't for listening. Don't on your own. Don't Thank you for listening. Friend. Thank you so much for listening. Once again, you can find out more about supporting the Youth Opportunities Program on the episode page. We would love your feedback. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or message us on our social media accounts. We are Expedition National Parks with no spaces on Facebook and Instagram and Expedition NPS on Twitter. Thanks to Jason Shaw for the music. And as always, follow the inspiration of the Junior Ranger motto. Keep exploring, learning, and protecting.